Good morning, and thank you uh, for being here. And uh, thank you, Terry, and thank you, Dillis, for inviting me. It's good to be among you guys today. I know many of you go to Rubido, but unfortunately, I still don't know your names, but bear with me. And hopefully in time, I will get to know your names as I know that some of you, many of you, do come to Mount Rubido. And please uh, come and say hi to me. I'd, I'd like to get acquainted with you, but just bear with me on your names. Um, there's many of you. I'm not as old as Terry, but I'm getting there as well. So you're just going to have to be patient. But um, this morning, as we talk, continue to talk about relationship, I want you to take a moment. I want to look at you to look at your hands for a moment. If a documentary was done about your hands, what would we see? Probably the first scenes would begin with those cute and sometimes embarrassing baby pictures in which you were seen grabbing at your mother or your father's fingers. As you grew older, you learned to grab your spoon and to feed yourself and make a mess on your face. As time would go on, you probably see those chubby little hands grab for a chair to steady yourself as you learn to walk. Moving further in your life, those now not so chubby hands will probably be seen learning to write, maybe play a musical instrument or learn to throw a ball or even pet a puppy. But interspersed within those scenes of you learning to do, learn new things, you also learn that those hands could be used for other things like yanking toys away from a sibling or a friend, or pushing someone or something away aggressively. Very early on in life, we learned that our hands are suited for more than survival. It's also a tool for emotional expression. The same hand that can help or hurt, extend or clench, lift someone up or shove someone down, if we were to show a documentary on your hands, to your friends. We'd be proud of certain moments. Maybe your hand extending a gift or placing a ring on somebody's finger or doctoring a wound, preparing a meal or even folded in prayer. But then there's those other scenes that we'd like to delete or we'd like to fast forward through. Maybe shots of accusing fingers, abusive fists. Hands taking more than giving, demanding instead of offering, wounding rather than loving. Our hands are a powerful tool that can send messages of love and acceptance, or they can send messages of hate and rejection. A text that came to mind when I was asked to speak a while ago is a text that we can, if you have your Bibles or you have your iPhones or iPads or whatever you use, Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. Here we find Jesus in a very familiar setting. He's healing the leper. Now this story is also found in Matthew 8 and also Luke 5, but I've chosen Mark. I like the way he puts it. It says in Mark 1, verse 40, it says, A man with leprosy came to him. And begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, 
See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, people still came to him from everywhere. This morning, I want to spend a few moments on one phrase that is repeated in each gospel account. In verse 41, it says, Jesus was moved with compassion, and so he reached out and touched him. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we spend a few moments unpacking this, I pray that you will speak through us today. Speak to us. Hide me behind the, your cross, Father, and may Jesus be lifted up, and may Jesus be heard in your name. Amen. Before we delve into this phrase any further, I want to pause for a moment and look at the person that Jesus touched. It says he was a leper. Now, we all recognize that leprosy was a terrible disease that made people social outcasts. And all you medical professionals know the clinical definition of what happens when a person has leprosy. But I think in order for us to understand the significance of Jesus' touch of the man, we need to understand leprosy from a social and theological meaning of the disease. One commentator pointed out that when it came to curing leprosy, the biblical authors would describe it as a cleansing rather than a healing because leprosy was so closely associated with sin. Knowing this, you can imagine the emotional toll having this disease would have on any person inflicted with it. In an article entitled Healing Presence by John Swinton, he writes the following. In the first century Mediterranean culture, to have leprosy meant a person was unclean and thus unworthy of participation in temple rituals. Denied access in this way to the temple, the person's exclusion was not simply from the community, but seemingly also from God. The primary suffering that accompanied leprosy was not its biological symptoms, as important as they certainly were, but the pollution and exclusion from holiness. Within a, within a culture that was totally God-centered, such exclusion was equally as painful, if not more painful, than the clinical manifestation of the illness. Imagine for a moment that if because of some illness or because of some, something that happened to you, that, you're, that you can no longer hang out with your circle of friends or support group or even family. Or maybe for some of you, imagine life without being able to access Facebook or Twitter every two seconds. For some of you, I know that would be traumatic, but imagine not being able to touch someone, not being able to interact with anyone. Even the simple interactions with a person at the grocery store or even at Taco Bell, you are no longer allowed to because of your ailment. It is knowing this that the man not only has to deal with the pain that he has suffered of uh, being a social outcast, this man is also dealing with the idea that even God has rejected him. And, that, and it is knowing this that makes Jesus' action of touching the man even more meaningful. The text says that when Jesus heard the man's plea, it says he was moved with compassion. The Greek word for compassion is splagizomai, meaning to be moved to one's bowels. 
as future healthcare professionals? What moves you? What causes you to have compassion? I want to challenge you as you prepare to work in your professions, that you don't get caught up in fixing the symptoms of the individual, that you forget the person that is having those symptoms. Remember that the person you're treating is a mother, father, daughter, son, grandparent, somebody that like you has an identity unique only to them and a story exclusive only to them as well. And so it is in this context that Jesus encounters that leper. And for once, and we don't know how long, somebody begins to see this leper as a human being rather than a social outcast, rather than a person that is unclean. And Jesus, when he looked at the man, had compassion on him. Imagine with me for a moment what that moment must have felt like for that leper. After years of being rejected, after years of hearing the taunt, unclean, unclean, after years of seeing hands being used to send a message of hate and accusation, now Jesus goes and he touches the guy, sending a whole different message a message of love, of acceptance. Imagine how that man must have felt. Many studies have been done on the touch of, how important the touch is to humans. My wife, who used to work at the NICU here at Loma Linda, told me that there are people on the neonatal ICU unit whose entire job is to be snugglers of babies because they recognize the importance of the physical touch. But as I was preparing for this talk, I, I ran across another unique study in which scientists from Berkeley wanted to see how to see if supportive touch was related to performance. And so they decided to observe NBA teams. And they coded every bump, every hug, every high five, and every single game played by each team in the NBA during the 2009-2010 NBA season. And the report showed that with few exceptions, good teams tended to be touchier than bad ones. The most touch-bonded teams were, you want to make a guess? The what do you say? The Lakers and also the Celtics. The Lakers and the Celtics. Interesting. If I recall correctly, that was a good year for the Lakers, 2010. <laughs> And I know some of you will have disagreement with that, but that's all right. We won the championship that year. <laughs> and those, those two teams were obviously the better teams that year, and they continue to be. But at the bottom of that list were the mediocre Sacramento Kings. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if I have any of you from Charlotte, well, you have a, a famous owner. And they were the Sacramento Kings and the Charlotte Bobcats were at the bottom of their list. And they, they, they even found that the same was more or less true for players. The touchiest player, anyone want to venture a guess? No. No, not LeBron. Kevin Garnett. It said that within 600 milliseconds of shooting a free throw, Garnett had reached out and touched four players. Others that were in that touchy-feely category were Chris Bosh, then of the Toronto Raptors, and Carlos Boozer, then of the Utah Jazz. It also, the study went on to say that players who made contact with teammates most consistently 
and longest, tended to rate to rate highest on the measures of performance, and teams with those players seem to get the most out of that talent. However, the study fell short of showing that touch caused better performance. Dr. Krauss acknowledged, we, we still have to test in a controlled lab environment. If a high five or equivalent can in fact enhance performance on the field or in the office, that's maybe because that touch reduces stress. A warm touch seems to, off, to set off a release of oxytocin, a hormone that helps create a sensation of trust and re to reduce levels of stress, the stress hormone, cortisol. In the brain, prefrontal areas which help regulate emotion can relax, freeing them for another of their primary purposes, problem solving. In effect, the studies show that the body interprets a supportive touch as, I'll share the load. We think, of human, we think that humans build relationships precisely for this reason, to distribute problem-solving areas across the brain, says James, James Cohen, a psychologist at the University of Virginia. We are wired to literally share the processing load, and this is the signal we're getting when we receive supportive touch. Jesus, in the same way, when he touched that man, was taking on the uncleanliness of that man with leprosy. Jesus was entering into the man's stigma and social isolation. He was sharing the load with the marginalized of society. In an article by Swinton, he says, when Jesus enters into relationship with the marginalized and shares in their social death, he initiates a process of resurrection for people like this man with leprosy. They become full persons and are reintegrated into the community which itself is necessarily transformed by his healing actions. Jesus realized that when he touched the leper that day. I believe we too have that privilege. One gesture, but yet that one gesture can be so filled with meaning, but yet it's all a person may need. I recognize that we're, we all are busy people, whether it be in your professional or personal life. Time is always limited, but yet I would encourage all of us to never ever discount the power of supportive touch. A touch of reassurance, a touch of welcome, a touch of empathy, a touch that simply sends the message that I care, can do so much for a person. And sometimes that's all that we can do. A number of years ago, I did my clinical pastoral education as part of my requirements for ordination. And I did it at Loma Linda University. Now, I, ha I came in having delusions of grandeur that I would be taught the right thing I could say to a person who was suffering, and I could, you know, make them feel all better, and, you know, people who were facing death and stuff, I could say some magic words and, and make them feel all better. But, yeah, I was, uh, I was awakened to the truth that people will always hurt. And there are no right words that I can say. And I remember one particular day, I was wondering whether or not I should go and add to my 400 hours. I mean, I, you know, you required 400 hours of, of being on the floors. And I was wondering whether or not I should go in. I remember turning on the TV that day and, uh, and, and seeing a breaking news report of a major car accident that had happened. Now, there have been multiple deaths and two people have been transported to Loma Linda. I walked in, I said, okay, well, let me go. 
probably won't get to see the people or I'll find a way to, you know, some, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people to deal with that, um, that family. I walked to, I, I went, uh, I came to the hospital. And a few minutes into it, I was talking to the chaplain that was uh, overseeing uh, my, my work. And he said, Cliff, we've been called down to the emergency room. In fact, we've been gone down, we've been called down to the family room. When I walked in the family room, I saw one person. I saw a staff member of Loma Linda, and I saw two police chaplains with him. I quickly realized this was the individual who had lost the family members in that car accident. I was letting my staff chaplain do everything, and I was just kind of sit, sitting there and, you know, occasionally touching the individual. We left that place, and we left the ER after helping, um, helping him work through stuff and left that man with the, um, with the police chaplains. So we went up to, we went up and had lunch and whatnot. And I asked my staff chaplain after lunch, I said, do you want me to check on any particular case or is there anything you want me to do specifically? He said, Cliff, why don't you check on that guy? I said, okay. So I went down. I went down to the ER, kind of hoping I wouldn't find the guy. I went hoping I wouldn't have to interact with the guy because I, what was I going to say? He had just lost his family and two of his closest family members were, had serious injuries and were being operated on at Loma Linda. What was I to say? What was, what was I to do? I found the guy and he spoke no English and I spoke no Spanish. And I was kind of left going, I don't know what to do. But I remember, in, through our broken communication, him in broken English and me, through my gestures, we'd walk between the two family members that this individual that, that had been injured. I didn't know what else to say. Walked up to see one person, walked down to see the other person, walked out to the chaplain's office in Clay, so we would avoid um, whatever media was coming through. And I remember after spending all afternoon, I left for home around 6 p.m. that evening, and I was tired. Not physically tired from walking all over Loma Linda. That, was, that wasn't a big deal, but I was physically, physically tired from the emotional stress. I mean, just the emotional um, arena that I had been in that day. I, never, I didn't say much to him because I couldn't. There's nothing, there's nothing right you can say at that point. I just would offer him water. I'd touch him. And I can't say that at the end of that entire day of him walking with me that he was better or felt good or anything like that. But all I could do was touch him. And sometimes in life and sometimes when we face situations, that's all we can do. That's all we can do is to reach out and touch that individual. And then at that, as I reflected on my time in work, um, on that incident, I was reminded of Galatians 6, verse 2, in which Paul says, we are to carry one another's burdens. I knew what it was like. I kind of felt his pain, even though I hadn't lost the family members. It was exhausting. But yet, I felt it a privilege to be allowed into that area. So, as we interact in life, as we interact with maybe our friends, family, Maybe even our patients later on. 
I want to challenge us to never underestimate the power a simple touch can mean. Never underestimate what a simple gesture can make in a person's life, whether it be good or for bad. God created us with hands. Not just to be able to do things or to fix things, but rather to also be an extension of his healing and comforting hands to a hurting world. I want you to look at your hands one more time. You've seen the stories that your hands have written thus far till today. And I want to leave you with some questions and a challenge. How will the rest of the story of your hands go? What stories will they continue to tell? What messages will they send? And who will they reflect?